This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Wednesday morning wake-up call, the ninth day of June 2021. Another warm one here in the Northeast. And well, although the worst of it's supposed to be over today, hot and humid. And uh, hopefully this is the end of the uh, this rough stretch we've had with hot weather before summer even gets here. So, as you all know, probably by now that if you've watched or listened to this show uh, over the last three years, um, my routine in the morning, I kind of watch uh, uh, the Today Show every morning when I get up. And <laughs> one of the first things that got me and it got my blood going, pissed me off first thing this morning. Great way to start the day. You know, and I'm sure this has got to be maddening to a lot of people. Um you wake up and a report this morning in the New York Times uh, lays out the fact that over the last five, six, seven years that the richest executives in the United States paid little to no income taxes. Now, I guess it shouldn't be a surprise these guys have uh, accountants, uh, you know, up the wazoo. You know, they're going to find every loophole they can find. And, I mean, it is unbelievable. Warren Buffett, one of the richest men in the world, he paid $23 million in taxes. All right, a total of $23 million in taxes from 2014 to 2018. Now you say, well, that's a lot of money. During that same time period, Warren Buffett's wealth rose by $24 billion. Think about that for a minute. So he paid, I mean, $23.7 million in taxes on $24.3 billion of income. Now, if you and I, the average taxpayer, tried to figure out some way to do that, we'd be in jail. And this is the kind of crap, and this is why so many people in this country are struggling, and why so many cities and towns are struggling and trying to figure out ways to uh, take care of the underprivileged. Because the wealthy people in this country do not pay their fair share. Elon Musk's tax bill in 2018, folks, it was exactly zero. George Soros, one of the biggest financiers in this country, went three straight years without paying federal income tax between 2014 and 2018. 
Please explain to me how this happens. Michael Bloomberg ran for president. That son of a bitch didn't pay taxes either. It is unbelievable. And I know that this is a sports talk show and I got to get off of this, but man, you know, and I am no fan of Elizabeth Warren. Okay. I'm not, you know, I thank Jesus. She didn't, uh, you know, become president, didn't win the democratic nomination. Can't stand the woman. However, when you hear stuff like this, when you know that, you know, she's got this proposal for a, what's called a, um, a wealth tax, and she wants to apply a 2% tax to an individual's net worth, which is the value of their stocks, houses, boats, anything that they own minus their debts, above $50 million. So if you make more than $50 million bucks, it's a 2% tax. You know what? When you read stuff like this, <laughs> you have a hard time arguing against it. It's unreal. Jeff Bezos making all this money, not paying taxes or, or barely paying any taxes. It's criminal. And as you know, as I saw you know, somebody, this was done by this group called a, a news organization called ProPublica. And by the way, how they got this information, nobody knows other than the fact that uh, the U.S. government now and the uh, Treasury Department is trying to figure out how the how the uh, information got leaked. They somehow got it, the raw data. So somebody leaked it. So <laughs> there's, somebody's head might roll when they find out how it got leaked. But at the end of the day, the information's out there. Uh, and this is just, you know, as, as one of the guys from Pope publicly said this morning, it shows you that our tax system in this country is upside down. This country is, you know, the taxes in this country are screwing the people from, you know, the bottom down. The rich people are at the bottom paying the least amount of taxes and you and me, the middle class and to the people that are struggling from day to day, we're the ones that are getting hammered in this country. Brutal. Brutal. And again, as I've also stated, I'm a registered Republican. I'm supposed to love this, right? Republicans are supposed to love the fact that big business and the rich people don't have to pay as many taxes. So I'm supposed to be excited about that. I am not excited about that. You know, come on. So anyway, enough about that. But man, what what a way to 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 get me fired up first thing in the morning. Oh, um, some sad news out of the NFL. Uh, Jim Fossil passed away yesterday. Former coach of the New York Giants, he was the uh, uh, led the Giants to the Super Bowl in two thousand and one. They lost that Super Bowl uh, to the Baltimore Ravens thirty four to seven, but he got him there. Uh, he was their coach from 1997 to 2003. I uh, died of a heart attack uh, in a Las Vegas hospital uh, just uh, on uh, Sunday night. No, actually, excuse me, it was Monday night. Um, 71 years old. Yeah, you know, I'm going to be 61 in in, uh, in two weeks. You know, and he's 10 years older than I am. It's one of those things, boy. I tell you, you just you look at it. The older you get, and you go, ooh, yeah. Could be me, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I've uh, decided I got to take better care of myself. If I'm going to be around to torture people for a long time, I got to take better care of myself. And you know, on the diet, on the diet track again, and it's it's going well. And uh, but yeah, 71 years old. You hate to hear that. Um, so uh, uh, 
best to his family and the New York Giants. Obviously, look, I mean, it, as with any coach, it never ends well, right? You know, unless you're uh, somebody that goes out on your own terms, it never ends well. You end up getting fired. But still, he got the New York Giants to a Super Bowl and obviously was a big part of their history. So, regardless of how it ends, um, you know, a big part of that franchise. Um, NBA news. And uh, Nikola Jokic won the NBA Most Valuable Player Award yesterday, becoming the lowest draft pick in NBA history to ever win that award. And it's not close. Prior to yesterday when uh, Jokic won it, the I think the lowest overall draft pick to have won it was 15th. Uh, I want to say it was Steve Nash. Uh, and Giannis Antetokounmpo from Milwaukee, I think, was might have been 15th as well. But he was uh, 41st overall. And you know what was funny? Uh, just a couple of years ago, before Kobe Bryant died, he challenged Jokic to win the MVP. Well, mission accomplished. So, look, he had 60 double-doubles this year. He had 16 triple-doubles, which is the second-highest amount in the, in the league. Uh, his scoring average went up seven points a game this year. Tied his career high, averaged almost 11 rebounds a game. He averaged over eight assists a game. And, and this is a guy, by the way, is a center. The only guy that had ever uh, averaged more assists from the post was Wilt Chamberlain, who averaged 8.6. Jokic was at 8.3. And he, he shot 56% from the field, 39% from three-point range. I, look, unbelievable year. Uh, Joel Embiid from the 76ers finished second in the balloting. Uh, Steph Curry finished third. Uh, Jokic got 91 of the 101 uh, first-place ballots. So uh, congratulations to Jokic. Uh, the Boston Bruins tonight, uh, game six against the New York Islanders and a must-win if they're going to get it to a game seven. The Bruins now in a position where they have to win their last two games and there is a chance that Tuka Rask, their number one goaltender, may not be able to play tonight. Look, he wasn't right the other night. We saw that. I mean, he uh, the Bruins badly outshot the Islanders the other night, but Rask was not right and ended up giving up uh, four goals. They had to pull him in favor of uh, Jeremy Swayman, and there is a chance that Swayman could be in goal tonight. Bruce Cassidy said yesterday in his press conference that they're going to find out. They'll know uh, today. It's going to be a, uh, you know, he's going to continue to get treatment. He's got some kind of a back issue going on. They've been very vague about exactly what it is that's going on with him. Uh, but uh, Cassidy said they'll know this morning. So there is a chance they're going to go into a must-win situation with the rookie Jeremy Swayman in goal. And he was very good during the regular season, but uh, this uh, turns the volume up a little bit. So uh, we'll see. By the way, Bruce Cassidy got fined twenty-five grand for his comments that he made about the officials after their game five loss to the Islanders. And even if you're not a Bruins fan, if you are objective about it and you watch that game, there were calls that were missed. There was a couple of high-sticking calls that the referees flat-out missed. There's no question. And Bruce Cassidy called them out. And uh, the, the NHL, matter of fact, none of the leagues take kindly to that. If you go after a referee... Uh, in the NBA, in a press conference, if you go after an umpire in a press conference in, a, in Major League Baseball, you're going to get fined. It's the way it is. But, uh, you know, Cassidy felt that uh, that Barry Trotz, the uh, coach of the Islanders, had been in the referee's ears, you know, claiming that one of his guys uh, was cheating on faceoffs. 
and uh, and, and he felt that he had to fire back because you know Trotz, who's look won a Stanley Cup and is very well respected by the referees and by a lot of people in the. Uh, in the NHL, was getting an unfair advantage, so he fired back and cost him twenty-five grand. So, uh, and uh, the winner of that series will now play the Tampa Bay Lightning. The Lightning finished off the Carolina Hurricanes in five games. Andre Vasilevsky, the goaltender for the Lightning, has been uh, otherworldly in the series. It was his third straight shutout in a series clinching uh, victory over the Hurricanes last night, two nothing. He's 26 years old. He's already won one Vezina Trophy as the best goalie in the NHL. He's a finalist for it again this year. I, I think he should win it. Um, he's been ridiculous. Uh, first two games of the series, he saw 70 shots and he stopped 68 of them and then and then reeled off a couple of shutouts after that. So, good Lord. Uh, so, they will play uh, the winner of this series. If the Bruins win tonight, game seven in that series would be on Friday. Uh, coming up here in about 10 minutes, Matt Corey of Sox Outsider is going to join us. Uh, he's got a blog, got a podcast, uh, very entertaining, uh, has written for The Athletic. He's written for several different uh, organizations, uh, now uh, uh, living out in the West Coast. And uh, he calls himself the Sox Outsider because he follows the Sox and he's living on the opposite coast. Makes it a little bit more challenging, although in some ways he's got an advantage because Sox games, if they're at home, they start at 7 o'clock Eastern time. They're 4 o'clock in the afternoon for him. He doesn't have to sit up late to watch the games. Uh, but anyway, he's going to join us coming up here at uh, 930. Last night's game for the Red Sox, not a good one. Uh, and we all saw the trouble that the Red Sox had uh, a week or so ago when they were in Houston, and Houston won three of the four games. Um, the only guy to win a game for the Red Sox pitching staff in that four-game series was Martin Perez. Well, Perez gets to start last night and got absolutely hammered. Lasted two innings. He had to get five outs in this game at one point. He had thrown 56 pitches, and there were only two outs in the second inning. I mean, it was batting practice. So he only goes to six hits, six runs, walked three guys, only struck out two. He gave up a home run, which was a little bit of a controversial call. It was hard to tell whether it actually went off the foul pole or went off the top of the wall. At the end of the day, didn't matter. Even if it wasn't a home run, the way they were hitting him, it was unbelievably bad. Oh, my God. Uh, the one takeaway from last night, I mean, the one positive, I guess you could say, from last night's game for the Red Sox, um, with Perez, you know, coughing it up yesterday they had to get seven innings out of the bullpen they got seven really good innings out of the bullpen Matt Andrees came in through three innings only gave up one run and three hits struck out five didn't walk anybody Brandon Workman pitched two shutout innings uh Phillips Valdez pitched two shutout innings uh so I guess if you want to <laughs> if you want to take away from you know uh, that okay there you go but the Red Sox uh only managed six hits off of Framber Valdez, it is the second straight time that Valdez has pitched against the Red Sox and killed him. Down in Houston, uh, he dominated them. I believe he struck out 10 in the game down there. Uh, he struck out eight without walking anybody last night in seven and a third innings. I mean, he just owns the Red Sox. You know, and even when the Red Sox got guys in scoring position, they couldn't do anything. They were 0 for 9 with runners in scoring position last night. 0 for 9. Uh, you know, uh, the top of the order continues to be a problem. We're going to talk to Matt about that. Christian Arroyo went 0 for 3 at the uh, in the leadoff slot 
Uh, it was good to see J.D. Martinez back in the lineup. They gave Alex Verdugo the night off. Uh, Christian Vasquez was supposed to have the night off. Kevin Ploiecki, the backup catcher, ended up getting hurt. Uh, ball bounced in the dirt, came up, hit him in the mask, and he had some kind of a jaw contusion there. They were actually concerned he might have that the, the mass driving into his jaw might have cracked his jaw. So he actually left the game, and Vasquez, who was supposed to have the night off, ended up uh, having to play. But uh, awful, awful game for the Red Sox. So uh, they will try to bounce back tonight. And, you know, five-game losing streak is gone. They find themselves now two games back of uh, the Rays because they beat uh, uh, the Washington Nationals last night 3-1. to one. Uh, Tyler Glass now... I mean, I, I don't think there's really any debate that Tyler Glass now may be the best pitcher in the American League this year. Struck out 11 Nationals yesterday. And I'm sorry, it's a game and a half, not two games. But regardless, uh, uh, the Red Sox now 6-4 and four in their last 10. But Tampa, again, getting things rolling. They've won three in a row and 7 of 10 and uh, trying to continue to put distance between themselves and the Yankees and the Blue Jays. And uh, speaking of the Yankees, in a press conference yesterday, we, we talked about uh, yesterday about or Monday. We weren't here yesterday. By the way, we, I apologize for not being here yesterday. We had no Internet. My Internet was down yesterday morning. Didn't come back until noonish. Thank you, uh, Xfinity. So uh, that's why we weren't here yesterday. But anyway, uh, the press conference yesterday, they were talking about MLB cracking down on pitchers cheating and using this uh, super sticky stuff uh you know, and uh, putting a stop to it. And so they questioned Garrett Cole about that yesterday, and we had mentioned Josh Donaldson had taken some shots at him about how in his last start, when, when the word came down that MLB was going to crack down on it, all of a sudden uh, the RPMs on all his pitches changed. Four-seam fastball the most noticeably, but his curveball went down 78 RPM, his changeup went down, his slider went down, everything went down, and he got whacked. And he's not the only pitcher that it happened to. It happened to Clayton Kershaw. It happened to Trevor Bauer. So all of a sudden, after the word comes down, you you start to think, well, maybe there's something to this. Could it be a coincidence? I don't know. Here's the thing. Cole would not, when he was asked straight out, do you use it? And he would not give them a yes or no. His, his response? Well, I don't quite know how to answer that, to be honest. What? It's a pretty simple question. Are you using it or are you not? He said, and then he goes on to say, well, I mean, there are customs and practices that have been passed down from older players. Translation, yep, they've been cheating for a while, and this is how I was taught to do it, and so I've been doing the same thing. (laughs) So he wouldn't answer it. And he goes, I think there's some things that are certainly out of bounds in that regard, and I've said pretty firm in terms of that in terms of communication between our peers and whatnot. In other words, I'm cheating, but there's some other people that are maybe cheating more than I am, and I don't agree with that, but I am still cheating. I mean, that's, that's what he's saying. But he wouldn't come out and give a yes or no answer. Well, guess what? Garrett Cole's pitching tonight. And he tried to say that he said he attributed to his last game, the RPM change and all that stuff, he contributed to, uh, to his mechanics. He said, I just, uh, uh, I was not as, as good or as sharp as I wanted to be in that start. So, you know, he's just, he is deflecting everything. And look, all these guys are going to do the same thing. None of them are going to admit it, I don't think. You know, 
you know, and Garrett Cole in his first eight starts was ridiculous. He had pitched to a one three seven ERA. His last four starts, his ERA is almost four and a half. He's walking guys all over the place. And, uh, you know, look, he's been accused in the past of, of this stuff. Trevor Bauer, who was his college teammate, threw him under the bus before and uh, accused him of it when he got traded from the Pirates to the uh, Astros and then suddenly became one of the best pitchers. He says, oh, funny how that happens when everybody goes to the Astros. Uh, and there was a text message that was part of a, um, a lawsuit against an Angels clubhouse attendant. And they had a text message from Garrett Cole from a couple of years ago and said, uh, uh, hey, Bubba, it's Garrett. I was wondering if you could help me out with this sticky situation. We don't see you till May, but we have some road games in April that are in cold weather places. And the stuff I had last year seizes up when it gets cold. So he's basically saying, hey, I was getting the stuff from the Angels clubhouse guy. And uh, can I get some more? And yet he won't give a yes or no answer. But we all know what, what the answer is. Unreal. So we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens when he pitches today. And if he gets whacked around again, you know, um, and it's one of those things when you're watching the press conference and you, you look at the guy and you want to say, hey, hey, Garrett, I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. You know, I'm no dope. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, one other quick note before uh, we take a break and get to the interview with Matt Corey. Uh, game last night between the Dodgers and the Pittsburgh Pirates. Dodgers end up winning the game 5-3. to three. But what happened in this game, uh, you'll see this almost never. Uh, Cabrian Hayes hit a home run in the first inning for the Pirates last night. Well, that home run turned into an out. Why? Because as he was making his trot around the bases, he missed first base. So Brian uh, uh, Roberts, the coach of the uh, Dodgers, noticed that and said, uh, hey, uh, can we go to the replay and check that? And you look at it, and he did indeed miss first base by about three inches. And so uh, because of that, he's called out, and the Dodgers go on to win the game. Now, would they have won it anyway? Perhaps, you know. But Walker Bueller, after that home run was erased, um, went on a tear. Seven scoreless innings. As a matter of fact, retiring the last 13 guys he faced. So, uh, you know, it certainly helped him out quite a bit. And, you know, who knows if it could have gone the other way or not. But, yeah, you, don't, you won't not see that very often. It is 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, Matt Corey of the Sox Outsider is going to join us. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call, and we are thrilled to be joined by Matthew Corey of the Sox Outsider. He's got a blog. He's got a podcast. They're well worth your time. I highly recommend it. We've had a chance to talk to him a couple of times now. And, uh, Matt, the Sox look like they were heading south in a hurry, and then they got to New York, of all places, and got healthy. Now, my question to you is, I was very excited about this sweep, but how excited should Red Sox fans be about sweeping a very flawed New York Yankee team? Uh, well, thanks for having me on, by the way. Um, I, uh, I think you can 
create it from two perspectives, right? The first would be maybe sort of a higher level championship type of aspirational look. And from that perspective, maybe not as excited as you might have been, you know? Um, the Yankees certainly aren't playing well right now. Their roster looks uh, like it has some holes in it that maybe people didn't anticipate. Um, but the other way to look at it is the Red Sox just swept the Yankees in New York, and my gosh, that's fun. You know? <laughs> that it is, yes. Well, and they said what I mean, they had lost 11 in a row there prior to the sweep, so I guess, you know, if nothing else, I guess that's that's a good tonic. It's always be good to beat the Yankees, yes. and it's especially nice to beat them in New York, and uh, to sweep them is that much sweeter, and you know, only one team wins a championship every year, and most of the years it's not your teams, you know, and, and so take your fun where you can get it, man. That's a, that's a good time right there. <laughs> well, and, you know, look, let's let's go to that, you know, the, the extra inning game that uh, uh, maybe wouldn't have been an extra inning game but for a called strike three that was clearly far outside. Now, I don't want to have a debate with you about robot umpires because you and I are okay. on opposite sides of that, so there's no – you're not going to change my mind, and I'm not going to change yours. So we'll just say okay. that you want them, and I don't. But we'll leave it at right. that. We don't okay. know, you know, whether it, whether if it was called a ball, he gets on base, or you know, or I mean, or uh, was it Clint Frazier was coming up next? Whether he's going to get a hit? I mean, it might have turned out the same. We don't know, but you know, everybody, and it's one of the reasons why I hate social media. The second that Matt Barnes blew that save, everybody on Twitter was like, I told you so. I've been waiting all year to say this guy's a bum. You know, and that's just not fair. I mean, if you look at what Matt Barnes has done this year, he's pitched uh, the best that he's pitched in his entire career. And it's it's just, you know, I, I guess maybe it's part of fandom, but fans are just, unless you are immaculate, if you never make a mistake, that's the only way fans are going to be happy 100% of the time. Yeah, I think that's really true about relievers too, because they're they, you know, they pitch so few uh, innings, and and there's, you know, typically uh, you know high leverage spots, especially the guys we spend time worrying about, um, and uh, it, it's just so easy to remember that time that the guy blew this or the guy that the guy, you know, the time that the guy did that and it didn't turn out well or whatever, but um, but I think you're totally right about Barnes. He's had a fantastic season. He's you know he's not perfect. He's going to give up some runs. Um, you know, he has great stuff, but everybody gets hit. It's the majors. Um, that's just the way that works, even in this slightly lower run environment that we're in. So I, I don't have any concerns about, you know, about Barnes. And, and I think, uh, you know, I, I think if you're worried about Barnes, then, you know, anytime a, a starting pitcher gets pulled, you may as well just turn the TV off. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, there's. There's nobody else that you're going to want to watch in that bullpen uh, if, if Matt Barnes is, is going to you know give you the hives or whatever. Well, yeah, well, because everybody in that bullpen, and that's what it, kind of where I want to get to right now in this day and age in baseball where if you get six innings out of a guy, it's Christmas. You know, I mean, you know, a guy pitching into the seventh is is getting to a point where it's almost unheard of. But how many how many times have we seen this year, you know, they're in the bullpen in the fifth inning or, you know, yeah. an out into the sixth inning and – you know, my concern going forward is how, and I know they have the extra roster spot, but how long can they go using the bullpen like this without using them all up? I mean, that's uh, a good question. Maybe a 
a better one for Alex Cora, to be totally honest with you. Uh, I mean, I, you know, the way that this Ross, this organization treats the back of the, you know, the bullpen, they, you know, recycling through guys, you know, it was Colton Brewer. Now it's uh, Brandon Workman, you know, it may be Caleb or at some point in the near future, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and they'll continue cycling through guys until, well, probably forever, if we're being completely <laughs> honest, but uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's uh that's really a, you know, a shock or a surprise. Um, what was your, what was your, your greater point? You had a greater point. Well, my, my point is, is that right now I have three guys in that bullpen. I trust right now. The only, right. the, okay. the only guys to me right now that I trust is I trust Matt Barnes. I trust Adam Adovino and I trust Garrett Whitlock. That's who yeah. I trust, you know, because everybody else in that bullpen you know, they'll have a good outing, but then it's followed by two subpar outings and you just, and, and it's a crapshoot when they come in, you don't know what you're going to get with the exception of those three guys. Those other three guys have been pretty consistent every time you throw them out there. I mean, Adam Adovino had like really one bad outing, you know, but outside right. of that, he's been as, as reliable as can be. And so my, my, my problem is, is getting to the eighth inning. I, Alex Cor doesn't seem to have a plan. It's like he's making it up as he goes along. Well, I think it changes, you know, day to day too, right? Like, you know, you're saying there's a lot of guys and some of them are hot and some of them are cold and some of them pitch two days in a row and some of them haven't pitched in a week. And so, you know, I think there's, you know, there's games like, uh, you know, Tuesday's game where <laughs> you need to get basically eight innings out of the bullpen. Right. You know, and that, right. that probably, uh, you know, changes the way that you're planning on uh, you know, playing on Wednesday and playing on Thursday, but, but I, you know, I, I think you've got, you've got a hierarchy, right? I think you, you correctly identified the, the top of that hierarchy in the bullpen, but there's a couple other guys who pitched pretty well recently. Josh Taylor has been really good from the left side. Um, you know, Sawamura has been, uh, has been pretty good. I think he's trending up too. you know, he, I think his introduction, you know, to the majors in, in the beginning of the year was, was a little rougher than we, we'd hoped, you know, the strikeouts weren't there and, and, uh, but uh, he's he's pitched uh, you know pretty well recently. I I, I think the uh, the split is really coming along. Um, and uh, oh, there was another guy I was going to talk about, but uh, I guess I guess it, you know mostly well, mostly those two guys you know Sawamura and and uh, oh and then Workman is the other guy I was going to talk about. And, you know I I can't I can't claim to be absolutely crazy about his stuff at the moment. Right. Um, but, um, you know, th when he throws that curveball, well, it's still really effective. You know, the, the fastball is is low 90s if we're lucky. If that. Yeah. So I, I yeah, I, I think, um, you know, he, he's he's more of a back end of the bullpen guy at this point. He's not going to be getting, you know, those those crunch innings, the, the eight, eighth inning, ninth inning. You know, it's tied or, or one team's up by one kind of innings. But um you know, but he's perfectly, at least right now, he's perfectly fine in, in the back of that pen. And, and maybe there's a little more there. Um, you know, he was pretty good, you know, just uh, just two years ago. So right. it's not like uh, it's not like that far in the mirror. And, and uh, maybe they can coax something more out of him. But I, I think that's going to be most of, you know, how it's going to go. You know, just just getting uh, getting guys with some potential in, hoping you can make it work. And if you can't, then jettisoning the jettisoning. I can't say that word, jettisoning them and bringing in somebody else. Kind of um, like Colton Brewer came in for an appearance, was a disaster, and he was out of town in a hurry. 
Yeah, that yeah, kind of I think thing. That's, yeah, that's yeah, that's how it's going to go. Well, you know, you know I would, it wouldn't shock me if Workman's off the roster in a month. I, I'm yeah. trying to be, you know, very. Com- I try to be calm, but it's just hard. <laughs> and I, I really think yeah. I'm going to go buy stock in Rolades before the week's out. But you know, perfect example the other night, and I want to trust Alex Cora because look, in 2018, everything he did turned to gold, and you know, it was kind of in Alex we trust, and I'm trying to have that trust because look. The team is playing way better than we expected, so he's obviously getting a lot out of these guys. He's got guys, in some cases, overachieving, I think. Um, However, perfect example the other night, and we talked about this before we went on air, when, you know, they get into extra innings against the Yankees and they're bringing in Phillips Valdez, who hasn't pitched in five or six days to close out that game against the Yankees. I, I wanted to send Alex Cora immediately to the psychiatrist's office to find out what in the hell he was thinking, especially after Valdez hits the first guy, uh, you know, oh, yeah. but, but you try, I guess, I mean, I guess as, as a Red Sox fan, you have to try to trust this guy and just trust that he knows what he's doing. Right. I, I guess. Yeah. And I think, you know, as a fan, it's, it's hard, even as an analyst, it's hard to, you know, to keep the bigger picture in, in mind to know how, you know, the details all fit together. And, and that's really Cora's job. And that's something he's excelled at, you know, when he's been the, you know, managing the Red Sox, um, you know, over the course of the time he's, he's been doing that, um, you know, how, how guys are feeling, you know, the, the, who you need to stay away from, who's having mechanical issues, what, you know, the pitch count is over the, you know, certain period of time, um, even more than pitch count too. Some of it is just, uh, you know, stressful pitches thrown, you right. Know, high leverage, high leverage situations. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. So I think all that plays into it and there's, there's a bunch more too, um, you know that, uh, and most of that, you know, we're not privy to. You know how the how the Red Sox are are rating and reviewing all that sort of stuff. So um, I think, you know, you, you on some level, you just kind of have to trust that you know smart people are making are making the right choices. I mean, yeah, when Valdez comes in there, you gulp <laughs> definitely. You know, yeah. Uh, and when he hits that first guy, you kind of go, well, I guess this game's gonna <laughs> right end badly. You and know? then he then he gets the double play, and you're like, oh yeah, okay, we're fine. You know, and you can right. and you can breathe. Right. So yeah, yeah. So um, you, you just you just get, and especially you know once you get to extra innings too, I think that's when you know you said it, it. He doesn't seem like he has a plan sometimes, and I think sometimes maybe in extra innings there really isn't a plan. You know, you're just going to go to the guy who's the healthiest and hope that he can give you innings and that your offense can score some, you know, a, a couple more runs than the other guy. It, it probably is less uh, even analytical than I'm, I'm giving it credit for at that point. All right. So we the the bullpen, I mean, you know, he's he's I guess we have to say he's done a pretty good job by and large. They're what, 14, 13 games over 500. So we got to say that yeah. we, we can't really argue too much when you and I talked uh, on this show a couple of months ago at the start of the season, you said to me, well, I think they're going to be okay because I think, you know, I think that their pitching staff is going to be league average. And I remember saying to you, God, I hope you're right because I don't see that at all. Not They are way above league average, so you look like a genius, my friend. Um, but even you, let's be, I mean, please, be honest. You could not have envisioned it going this well. No, uh, no, I don't think I did. Um, I, I figured they'd have, you know, they'd get one league average pitcher out of, you know, uh, uh, Richards and Pavetta, not two. Right. Um, I, I didn't think much of Martin Perez, uh, Tuesday's start, notwithstanding, um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe of all the, again, probably I had ranked as a, as a league average starter, maybe a hair above. Right. Um, and he's been much better than that. So, 
Um, Erod's been yeah, no. Erod, their supposed ace, has been the, the the if you want to call it a disaster. He's the one that has struggled the most. Yeah, it's been it's been tough for him. The, the funny part about it is is his underlying stats really aren't bad. That's true. I um, agreed. You know, yeah. he's getting lots of strikeouts. He's not walking many guys. The, the quality of contact he's given up isn't um, isn't that bad. Um, I, I think. I think on the whole, he's getting unlucky. I wouldn't shock me also if there's some some fatigue, you know. Uh, I, after from, why wouldn't there be after having an entire year off with and with myocarditis, by the way, you know, and yeah. the whole COVID thing. I mean, you have to believe that that's part of the issue with him. Yeah, I I, I think so, and um, you know, hopefully he can build himself up in in season. Um, you know, the the kind of unfortunate part about you know, the, the setup that they have as far as starting pitching goes is, you know, on one hand, they've been, su- you know, Chris Sale aside, they've been super healthy in the rotation. Right. Um, but on the other hand, all the guys that they had set up as, um, you know, guys could come in, in in case there was an injury in the rotation, all those guys have been hurt. hurt. <laughs> so, yeah. You think, so you better stay healthy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So they, they pretty much have, have no backups at this point to, um, you know, to, to anybody's injury and I, I think you know if if Tanner Houck is healthy if Connor Siebold's healthy and he's pitching well in triple a um you know maybe you see Eduardo miss a start or two um you know you throw those guys in and you know for a game and you, you let him get his feet underneath him a little bit more but they just don't have that luxury right now well let me ask you how nervous are you I mean we're reaching we're, we're reaching the or we have reached the 60 game limit that we played last year yeah. How concerned are you, not just with the Red Sox, but league-wide, that we are now going to have pitchers uh, essentially or, or potentially throwing three times as many innings as they threw all of last year, this year, with all that time off? Are you concerned about that? You know, Do you think there's going to be more? We've already seen more injuries, but is that is that – I don't think that's a result of last year. If, if we're going to have an issue, I would think it's going to be farther down the road. July, August, uh, it could be carnage. No? Uh, it, it sure could be. I hope not. You know, I, I hope not, too. I, I, you know, I, I'm not an injury expert, so um, you know, I, at that point, I'm just sort of falling back on you know, watching baseball for 30 years or whatever. But um, I, I agree. There certainly is potential for, for that sort of thing, and that's you know, where the Red Sox all of a sudden lack of depth you know, and the starting rotation becomes kind of frightening. Um, yeah. You know, I, I imagine that the the front office is, you know, working towards fixing that uh, at at some point in the near future in some way, shape, or form, um, because there is that danger that all of a sudden Matt Andres is in the rotation, and then after that, what what are you going to do? You're going to put Garrett Whitlock in there, who's coming off of Tommy John surgery, right? Or um, or Chris Sale, who's coming off of Tommy John surgery, and by all accounts, he feels great. He looks great. He threw an extended uh, bullpen today at Fenway Park, or, or yesterday at Fenway Park. But but you can't count on him coming off of Tommy John surgery and going out and throwing six or seven innings. They're going to have to baby him when he comes back as well. Yeah, they will, and and you know he's not coming back for. Well, July, I mean, it, month or something. Yeah, yeah mid I mid to late July, to, if they're lucky. Right. So if they have an injury anytime between say now and then, that's you know that's an issue. So, um, you know, but you I, know. I certainly I certainly hope not. I I, I think uh, there is danger there, though. You know who's out there? How about how about a reunion with Rick Porcello? 
Yeah. Is he a free agent? Is yeah, he, he's he, uh, not. He has not signed with anybody. He's a free agent. Nobody has signed him. I mean, he's still out there. I mean, and, you know, if if he's not pitching, come you know, end of June, and you need somebody, that might be a good guy to go try to get. If he if he wants to sign a minor league contract, yeah, you I know, sure give him one, and, and you know, uh, give him a, a million dollar major league contract if he if he gets called up to the big club or something. I, you know, I don't know, but uh, I don't know how much cap room they have to play with. Do, so you said you know you think they're going they're going to do something at some point. Does that involve a trade at the deadline, perhaps? I mean, I would imagine. Uh, I, you know, how big is is a, a, a question I can't answer. I mean, they they have you know, a, a really interesting roster in that, you know, the, the Red Sox traditionally have had a, a really strong, um, you know, roster sort of top to bottom. Right. right. Um, and this, this particular team is really top heavy, at yes. least when it comes to the lineup, you yep. know? Um, and the good part about that in a way is that, um, you know, it minimizes your, your damage if, and when you have an injury. So for example, if Bobby Dalbeck gets hurt, well, it's not actually going to hurt the team. Um, it can't hurt it any more you know, than he's hurting it. <laughs> right. So, uh, and the other part about that is it doesn't take much to improve that position. You right. Know, you go out and now obviously Mitch Moreland's probably not available. He's on the A's. I assume they're not looking to deal him. But nonetheless, you, you get a guy like, you know, like a Mitch Moreland or something, right. something like that. Um, you know, that's going to be an upgrade and it, it's not going to be an expensive one to acquire. So I think there's there's a lot of room to make um, you know, incremental um, changes to the roster that that will have larger than usual benefits on the on the field. I, I think what's going to be interesting, Matt, is that you know if you're going to make a trade, like let's say they want to make a trade for a pitcher, you know, Heim Bloom since he came there has been trying to acquire talent and acquire prospects, acquire young players. Uh, how you know it's going to be awful difficult to go and make some kind of a trade for a pitcher because the first thing people are going to do is start asking about those kids that you've just acquired. So he's gonna it's going to be a, a, a kind of a tricky thing for him to figure out how to navigate that. Yeah, and he's not really been through a, a you know a normal trade deadline right as a general manager. So this will be you know another test for him with money. Um, Right. I mean, they had they had trade deadline. They had a trade deadline. Now he wasn't the GM in Tampa, but he went through that. But they never had any money to spend. The Red Sox, you know, potentially do. Yeah, yeah, they could they could presumably take on some salary. Although um, I think they are spending an awful lot on you know on this team, at least in terms of you know the whatever the uh, luxury tax number is. Yeah, Um, I think they're still below it, but I don't think that they're. I don't know that they have too much wiggle room. I mean, I think Bloom said something that I found interesting the other day, which was, you know, that yes, he's charged with, you know, building a long-term contender in Boston. um, But he also recognizes the importance of each individual opportunity when you, you know, to reach the playoffs and how valuable that is. Um, And that indicates to me that, you know, he's not, he's not going to throw this away. You know, he recognizes that this is a good team, but, but a flawed one and uh, you know, one that can presumably use some help now. I don't get the sense that he's the kind of guy who, you know, maybe like a Dave Dombrowski would go, well, you know, damn the torpedoes. I'm going to, I'm going to go out and, and get <laughs> yeah. you know, everybody or X yeah. regard. Yeah. Well, that too, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. but get some guy at the deadline who, who I want. And it's, you know, I'll worry about the damage, you know, caused to the farm system another time. He's right. not going to do that, but 
you know, I think that there, there's, you know, there's a lot of different possibilities and different ways to improve this roster. Um, and I think there's a lot of avenues for him to, to take, you know, uh, to, to, to give the Red Sox a push towards postseason. With a little bit of time we got left, let's talk about the, uh, the lineup. And I mean, everybody said, you know, this team is going to score runs now and they have, and when they score what four or more runs, their, their record is something absolutely ridiculous. I think they've only lost like four games when they've scored at least four runs in a game. Yeah. But having said that they have some major holes in this lineup and it starts at the top of the lineup. And I, I still have not been able to figure out why Alex Cora is so stubborn when it comes to the top of the lineup, you know, now he finally moved on a little bit and took Kike Hernandez out of there. And now he's trying, uh, uh, Christian Arroyo up there. But I mean, I just don't understand his hesitancy to either have Verdugo leading off or Xander Bogarts leading off. I mean, those are guys that are going to get on base. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm with you. Um, you know, I, I think Alex Spear said the other day that um, that Verdugo doesn't want to lead off, which is not a thing I'd heard before. I hadn't it heard might that not either, have been yeah. Alex. Uh, it, I, I read it, um, so I, maybe I shouldn't put. Well, it might have been his agent saying that. But yeah, well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I, I think I think he's a good fit as a leadoff hitter. He's a good on base guy. He gets a lot of hits and and he's got some speed and and you know most importantly gets on base. I I went on a, a rant about this on my podcast the other day because that. You know, the, like, like we said, this is a top-heavy team, and you know, the the their offense mostly comes from, you know, in this particular case, the two, three, and four spots, two, three, four, and five spots in the lineup, right? right? You know, Verdugo, Martinez, um, Devers, and and Bogarts. Though that four right there, those guys are are all you know incredible hitters having incredible seasons, right? Um, and after that, it falls apart, you know, pretty much um, for the most part, yeah. Um, so your job as a, as a leadoff hitter is, you know, as you said, just to get on base, like, that's really it. Like, you don't have to get a lot of hits. You can take a lot of walks. You don't have to take a lot of walks. You can get a lot of hits. You don't have to hit for any power at all. Right. You literally only have to get on base in front of these four great hitters and then score a bunch of runs as they hit you in. Yeah. And in this day and age, you don't have to steal bases either because that's what leadoff guys used to do. But now because they've devalued the stolen base that that's not speed. Isn't really even that an issue. I mean, you know, you, you don't want to plotter it that you're leading off, but if you have average speed, you can still lead off in, in the game today. Yeah, and in front of those guys, I, I don't think it's a requirement either. Yeah, so, well, yeah, because uh, they're not I, catching anybody either. That's <laughs> true. That's true. No, and and they're gonna you know they're gonna get enough hits to knock you in anyway. So if you get on base in front of those four guys, you have a really good shot to score a run. Um, and yeah, it just seems like a missed opportunity to put you know this this group of of players who um, literally can't get on base. Like yeah. that's you know that's just none of them. You know, Kike Hernandez seems like a great guy. Good defensive player, plays a lot of different positions, gets uh, some hits, has some pop, does not get on base. Well, and he's uh, and that's Marwin a... Gonzalez does not get on base. Right. Christian Arroyo does not get on base. Like these now, well, now, are not on base guys. Now Arroyo did get on base a couple of times when he led off against the Marlins on Monday night, but then on Tuesday he you know he goes over. Now the one change that yeah. that uh, now you know one thing Alex Cora did do on Tuesday because. Uh, Alex Verdugo wasn't playing. We saw Rafi Devers in the two hole. Now that's something we hadn't seen all season, at least not that I remember. Um, yeah, and the truth is, I for myself, I don't actually care what order you put those four guys. Yeah, it I doesn't matter. It matters yeah. that much. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I I might put Martinez not number two, 
but uh, beyond that, yeah. um, I, I think I, I don't I don't care. Um, and I truly don't even care if they put him number two. I, I, I think it's going to, you know, they're going to score a lot of runs with those four guys bunched together. Yep. They just need somebody to get on base in front of them. I think there's going to be, you know, I, I think it's going to change. By the time we get towards the postseason, either Jaron Duran's going to come up and he's either going to be, you know, the leadoff hitter yep. because he's fast, right? It's going to be, you know, that old, the old manager trope about, okay, well, he's fast. And so we're going to put him in a leadoff spot. Um, or they're going to go out and get somebody. I think it's going to be one of those. I, I would be shocked if they're, you know, it's September and, and we've got, um, you know, Kike Hernandez or Marwin Gonzalez in the leadoff spot. Now they, uh, the, the last guy I want to talk about is Bobby Dalbeck. How much, okay. how much longer of a leash can they give this guy, especially considering, you know, with the flexibility they have in this lineup where you can put, Marwin Gonzalez at first place, first base. You can put Danny Santana at first base. Uh, yeah. I mean, I know they're look going off of what Dahlbeck did in that short bit from last season, and he looked really good in spring training. Uh, he has been absolutely tr- dreadful. I mean, there's no other way to put it. How much longer can they go with this kid? And are they well, doing and are they doing him any favors by trying to let him work through it at the major league level? It doesn't seem to me like they are. I I think that we're hitting a point where, I mean, he's looking. He had a home run a, a couple of days ago, and I was like, oh, all right. That was maybe, a bomb, you know, too. Yeah, 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 incredible. He got all of it. And then, um, you know, the next day looked just as lost as he had looked before that. <laughs> right, and the right. day after that, just as lost as the as before that. So I, I don't feel like that carried over at all. Um, I. I think there's two things, right? I think one is they're trying to give him, you know, a, a long leash to uh, establish himself as a major league hitter because they believe in his talent. I also think that there's just not anybody else pushing for playing time at first base. Like, like you said, who else are they going to put there? Right. Marwin Gonzalez is not going to play first base regularly for a contending team. Right. Or, you know, Danny Santana is not going to play first base regularly for a contending team. They they literally don't have anybody, and like the guy who's probably their first base from the future, um, Tristan Casas is hitting well, but he's in Double A. Double A, right? Forget forget how old he is. He's like twenty one or twenty. Like they're not calling him up now, right? Um, like if he absolutely crushes it and they call him up to Triple A and he does that there too, then maybe you see him in September. But I I I kind of doubt that. Um, certain and probably almost almost certainly not as a starter. Like that would be that would be an extreme push. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that's your your primary spot to bring in somebody from outside the organization because you really only need a league average hitter and you've you've made up a huge amount of ground. OK, that's fair. You know, I mean, so so, so he's he's the best of a bad lot is kind of where where we're at with this. Yeah, I mean. Who else are you going to play there? Yeah, I don't. Like, I, I don't they know. Don't have anybody yeah. in AAA. You know, they don't have anybody else on the major league roster. So I, I think it's. I think right now they're just sort of biding their time, hoping that he gets it, that he gets hot, and it, you know, if he continues to scuffle, then you know you're you're getting to a point where you can start to you know move move the roster around a little bit. You know, Duran will be up at some point. You have to think in the next, I don't know, certainly next month. Yep. Um, I hope so. And at that point, you've got a bit of a roster crunch going on, so somebody's got to go. Um, 
So I, yeah, I, I think that's when you're going to start to see things moving, you know, at least as far as the major league roster goes. Well, Matt, uh, we haven't solved anything, but I think that, you know, look, I, at the end of the day, I didn't, I knew the team would hit, but I didn't expect it to be just like four guys. And, you know, and there's some hope that maybe Hunter Renfro seems to be coming out of it a little bit. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have to be he's honest. He's had a great month. Well, I don't. Th- yeah, I'll tell you what, and not even just the fact that he's hitting the ball well. He is a much better defensive player than I thought. I mean, he has made some throws from the outfield, chucking guys out at third base and at second base that have been unbelievable. I mean, they've been. Yeah, he's got a good arm. Yeah, he's got a good arm, and and he's not. You know, I, I, I'm maybe the low guy on the Hunter Renfro's defense, but I, I think, um, I think he's done fine. And right field at Fenway is a really hard spot. Oh, it is. Outfield. No question. It's just bizarre dimensions, and uh, you know the stand. The stands are right there. The fans are so close to you. Um, you've got the, the foul pole there and the, the curve, and then it goes really deep. Anyway, whatever. It's it's uh, it's really tough, and I think he's done a pretty good job. Um, I'm uh, I'm 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 encouraged by him. I guess I, you know it, it doesn't seem like they need to DFA him as yeah, no. to some of the <laughs> other guys at the back end of the roster. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Well, Matt Corey, uh, thanks for a few minutes this morning, folks. Again, he's got a blog. Check it out. Um, you can uh, subscribe to it. It'll come to your email every morning when it, when he writes one. It's great. And uh, I know your your podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts. Where else? Everywhere. Everywhere. So just search Socks Outsider. It's you'll find the, the the newsletter. You'll find the podcast. All of it's up there. Yep. Well, if you haven't gotten enough, Matt Corey, there's plenty more to come. So, Matt, thanks for a few minutes this morning. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. That is going to do it for us here this morning. Matt Corey, I appreciate him uh, spending some time with us this morning. Uh, matter of fact, we've got the news coming up here in a minute. And after that, Matt Corey's Socks Outsider podcast will be on. So if you haven't uh, heard enough, uh, his most recent uh, edition of his podcast will be coming up here after the news at 10 o'clock. I appreciate you spending some time with us this morning. Uh, uh, Internet provided. We'll be back tomorrow morning with another edition of The Wake Up Call. Have a great day, everybody, and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.